The following episode contains references to issues that some people may find disturbing, including trauma, physical and emotional abuse, and controlling behaviour. Please exercise discretion to decide if listening to this episode is right for you. Have you ever been at an intersection with your indicator on left and wondered what would happen if you turned right? How would that decision to change direction and take a different road impact your life? This is I'm at a Crossroad, the podcast about life's ultimate plot twists, where you will hear stories from people who have faced a life-changing decision. This episode. When you're in a cult, you don't know you're in a cult. When you think of religious cults, what do you picture? Remote communities in the middle of nowhere with no contact with the outside world. I couldn't even talk in confidence with my wife without her going back and telling the leaders. In a major tourist destination in New South Wales, visitors to a popular cafe are interacting with the 12 tribes cult without even knowing it. Matthew Klein was a member of that cult and decided to get his family out. My daughter cried herself to sleep. What did that decision take and what did it cost? Hi, I'm Matthew Klein. I'm here to tell you about my story of when I joined the 12 tribes, which is a religious sect, and how I got out. I was only with the 12 tribes for a bit over two years, from 1999 to 2001. But despite the fact it was a very short period of my life, it's had significant impacts on me and my children ever since. The 12 tribes are a messianic community that base their life on the early church where everyone lived together and everyone shared everything in common and everyone's needs were met. A similar thing would be a kibbutz over in Israel or an Amish community. And the other thing, which they don't really tell you about until you join, that the basis of the 12 tribes, they are going to become the perfect bride of Christ by raising completely obedient children. And then Jesus will return on a cloud and then revelations will be fulfilled. How did I become involved with the group is a very long and complex story. I mean, I guess it starts from being raised a Catholic. I went to church every Sunday, whether I wanted to or not. I went to Catholic primary schools, Catholic high schools, made my first communion, first confession, confirmation, the whole thing, until I decided to leave. But I did the usual things, uh, got married, bought a house, started a business, had a kid, and things started struggling for us probably after the first child was born. I think my wife who was a few years younger than me, was really suffering with postnatal depression after the baby. But it was obvious that she was really searching for something. Then we ended up having my second child, Bryson. He had some major health issues. But my wife, by this stage, had turned to organic veganism. It wasn't vaccinating the kids, so we weren't really welcome in the whole medical system. And she was seeing an alternative doctor who who was a medical doctor but also we were just really really tired like I remember getting up once like 14 times in the one night just to settle Bryson and this doctor recommended that we go see this lovely Christian community out at Picton and they might be able to let us stay there for a little while and give us some respite care and um, you know maybe help with Bryson at night so we didn't have to get up all the time 
So we ended up going out to Picton and being allowed to stay there for a week or two um, and get some help at night. So I used to go to work every day. My wife would stay at Peppercorn Creek Farm and hang out with the members out there. She was really taken by it and obviously wasn't that committed to me either because within a few days she actually approached the leaders and said, I want to leave my husband and join you. I don't know what you're about, I don't know what you believe, but I want to be part of your group and not with my husband. They said, no, 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 you've got to win your husband over. And and so then the love bombing of me really, really started, particularly when she told them, oh, if Matthew joins, he'll, he'll bring in a million dollars. So they were like, okay, we're going to work really hard on this guy. So every time I turned up, I was a superstar. Everyone loved me. They, oh, you know, if you ever joined, you got so many skills and talents that we could really use and you'd really help build up the whole community and it, it would be wonderful. And so eventually I went to the leaders with some questions. I said, you know, what, what is your authority? Is it just the Bible or is there anything else on top of that? And they said, no, we just believe in the Bible, that the Bible's the infallible word of God, and, and that's all we follow. And I said, do you have any leaders? I was like, no, we don't have any leaders. Everyone in this group is equal. We just have different jobs according to our, our skills and talents. Do you have any rules? No, we have no rules. You know, you only have to do what's on your heart. And I was like, that all sounds great. So I ended up doing the whole baptism thing with them and joining. They don't say you have to give all your money, you have to give everything over, but you know that you can't join unless you're willing to do that. I sold my house, um, gave my business back to my family, got rid of everything inside the house that the 12 tribes didn't want and just handed everything over to the 12 tribes. and. At the end of the day, it was maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars in cash. It, it wasn't the million dollars that my wife was expecting. Straight after my baptism, they have what's called a lost coin celebration, where everyone's celebrating because you know they've got a new member who's come to the tribes, and they all celebrate that. And yeah, there's music and dancing and cookies and things, and it was quite nice. And then after that's finished, everyone disappeared on me. Sometimes life in the 12 tribes can be quite isolating and lonely because you can't ever be completely honest with anyone. I couldn't even talk in confidence with my wife without her going back and telling the leaders. Couldn't talk to your fellow workmate about, oh, that sermon this morning, that was just rubbish, without them going and telling the leaders and then you getting called in and then you being what they call cut off, where no one's allowed to talk to you or have anything to do with you except for the leaders until you repent for your sins. Socially, that's, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, eventually when I was in Canada, just before I left, I actually made a friend who we could talk, we could recite Monty Python to each other, we could bag out whoever was talking at what we call the minha or the gathering in the morning at, you know, what a knobby was and he should just shut up. And so that helped me really in leaving. Working, I'm an industrial chemist, but I'm also a high school teacher. So generally in Picton, my morning was teaching until lunchtime. Then in the afternoon, I'd 
either go help with plumbing or demolition or painting or running people around. I didn't like the teaching there because the kids were not taught to think for themselves. They were just taught to answer questions. And if they couldn't answer it immediately, they would just put their hand up and ask me to answer it for them. And as a teacher, I like to inspire kids to learn and how to learn and figure things out and problem solve. But that's the last thing the 12 tribes wanted the kids to do was to think for themselves. Got sent over to America working in a soap factory. Then I got kicked out of America because I was only there on a three-month visa. There are a few little warning signs. There was there was one time in Australia where I should have just punched out one of the leaders and grabbed my kids and left, but I didn't. Um, but I'd only I was only recently joined, and uh, yeah, the physical discipline he gave my child I, I I shouldn't have put up with. Another big warning sign was how the kids weren't allowed to play with each other. They weren't allowed toys. They weren't allowed to use their imagination. Everything had to be real. And even if your kids were really well behaved, you had to almost trick them into doing the wrong thing so you could discipline them. Then the major ones came when I was living in Winnipeg. It's a much older community there. It was about 30 years old and it was very dysfunctional. I could clearly see there was a hierarchy and that um, there were the haves and the have-nots. It was very much like Animal Farm. We're all equal, but some of us are more equal than others. Twelve tribe leaders had their own cars, they had their own mobile telephones, credit cards, went off on their business trips and they were all fat and lazy and it was just very, very hypocritical. And I got to the point in the Winnipeg where I was like, well, I believe about 5% of the stuff, <laughs> but the other 95% they keep feeding me is just absolute garbage. I, it's, there's just no sense to it. So that sort of planted the seed for, for a couple of major events that... Uh, that really made me, you know, get out of there. The first one was the 9-11 event. So this is one of the most bizarre days of my life because in the 12 tribes, you don't have radio, you don't have television, you have no contact with the outside world. My parents were visiting and we decided that day that they were going to take me and my family to the zoo. So we... We went to the you know, Winnipeg Zoo. There was no one there in the car park. And anyway, the zoo opens and we're walking around the zoo and it's just, it's just like, well, people mustn't like the zoo in Winnipeg because there's just no one here. And I walked into the gift shop to look up at the television and see the Twin Towers as one of them collapsed. I was horrified because I didn't know if the building was full of people still or, or what was going on, because we had no contact. We went back and mum and dad left and one of the leaders got up and spoke about how we needed to be more like the pilots flying the aeroplane. Not that we want to kill anyone, it's we want to be so focused with what we're doing that nothing else in the world matters. And I just looked at my wife and I said, we need to reevaluate our decision to be here based on what we know now, rather than what I knew when we joined. Because no, we, we shouldn't be so focused that we can't take in new information. Anyway, she ran off and told the elders on me. So 
that sort of blind faith was just not on. The other major event that happened was they were putting on a Washington DC event where all the tribes from all around the world were going to go to the Washington near, near the um, Capitol building there and put on a fair showcasing the 12 tribes around the world so they'd be showcasing you know the leather handmade leather shoes that they make and the organic yerba mate that they grow and the organic breads that they bake and in just what a wonderful you know life we have and we knew months and months in advance that this was going to go on and the workshop in Winnipeg was going to build a mobile cafe to go down to this event and two or three weeks out it was just like well we mustn't be building it because it's way too late now and um yeah about two or three weeks before the event one of the leaders from Australia turned up and says right we've got to build this thing from scratch a lot of this cafe was built out of aluminium and if you know anything about aluminium welding fumes they're not great did we have any breathing protection of course not because that costs too much I got to paint the aluminium with a paint that was banned in 48 states of the US because it was toxic in nature. To have that sort of lack of care for the people building this cafe, it was just the height of hypocrisy. The other thing about that event was they wanted me to go down and do the cooking because of my previous experience. And I said, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to go because the Montreal embassy said i was not welcome back in america oh that's 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 terrible um okay we know this river crossing and for some reason they wanted me to take my whole family and cross this river at night and it's just like no <laughs> absolutely not i just realized that they didn't live a life of faith either and they just wanted to control and manipulate me but he was willing to risk my whole family being thrown into jail because he wanted me there to cook Nile perch fillets. That was a massive eye-opener. One of their main tenants is the 144,000 male children who are going to bring Jesus back. And so I started talking to a lot of the leaders about that, and none of them believed it either. So the two standout answers were, yep, I find that really hard to believe myself. And the other one was, if you don't believe, then just cling on to somebody else's faith. I started talking to other people and found out virtually no one believed it, you know, because it's, it's just too hard to believe. And, yeah, so I just really started doubting everything and everything put together. And um, whenever anyone came and said, oh, you know, how are you doing? I'd tell them. And I'd tell them what I was struggling with. And to a T, everyone said, yeah, I'm struggling with that too. And so the leaders hated that. So they ended up kicking me out on the street. Um, my son Bryson looked at me and said, I'm coming with you. And I had a, about a 20-month-old kid, so he stayed with my wife and my daughter stayed, stayed with her mother. But then they dropped us off at a hotel that rented the rooms by the hour and said, make sure you double lock your doors and gave me a hundred bucks and drove off. After I was dumped at the hotel, I uh, eventually got in contact with my family who were still travelling back from Canada and organised a proper hotel through them. And I was still visiting and seeing my daughter and my wife, but my wife wasn't talking to me by this stage. 
And I got the community over there to sign a, a letter guaranteeing that they'd send the kids back with my wife back to Australia. I was really lucky. My brother flew out from Australia to come and get me, which was really nice. I think my wife landed probably two weeks after I got back. And then I organised for her to go to a holiday house that my parents owned for us to just talk about our future together and how she saw it and how I saw it and what we were all willing to do. She ended up turning up late, having a huge bag of clothes for the kids. And my mother looked after the children and I went for a walk with my wife and I spoke to her about my doubts and concerns and that I can't live in the community because it goes against my conscience. But if she still wanted to be part of them, she could, but I still wanted her part of my life and the kids' life. And after an hour, she'd refused to say a single word. And so I just told her to leave in very, very strong words. I, I was just so frustrated, I just snapped. She left and I had the three kids, and I've had them ever since. My daughter cried herself to sleep for years because she thought mummy must hate her, you know? Um, And it still affects my daughter to this day, the abandonment. Then when my daughter was about 14, 15, I gave her an old mobile telephone of mine, and I left a telephone number in there under cult. And I did it on purpose. She thinks I accidentally left it there. But I thought, no, you're getting to an age now where if you want to contact your mum, this this will give you access to do that. And so she very shyly rang up one day and asked if she could speak to her mum. And eventually she got a mobile telephone number that she could text. And so they were sending a few texts backwards and forwards and... Oh, my, my darling daughter, how I miss you and I love you and all of this. She sent a text, uh, Mummy, Daddy says I'm allowed to see you. All you have to do is ring him and organise a place where we can meet. There was no response. Mummy, please, please ring Daddy. No response. And it's, Mummy, how dare you call me your darling daughter when you can't even ring so I can see you. And that was that. Many people ask me, do I regret joining the 12 tribes? And I always answer no, I don't regret. It was one of the most formative parts of my life. It was very short, it was two years, but it had an amazing impact on it. It helped me to grow as a person, It helped me to be resilient. It helped me to not take things at face value and to stand up for things I believe in. And as such, my time in the 12 tribes was really valuable. However, I don't recommend anyone joining a cult just to get those experiences. And so when I left, I definitely left at the right time. I think I'd gained everything I could gain from the 12 tribes that I could, but it did come at a cost, and the longer I would have stayed, the bigger the cost. My life since I've left the 12 tribes has been completely blessed, (laughs) to be honest. I've got a wonderful wife, I've got a wonderful life. My kids are amazing, they're all doing amazing things, and as as far as recouping what I'd lost, I'm, I'm living a very, very comfortable, very, very exciting life that I think most people would be envious of, because I, I just have so much freedom 
now and just get to do really interesting things all the time. And I think a lot of it's down to the fact that firstly, I joined the 12 tribes, but more importantly, I left. Thank you for listening to I'm at a Crossroad. If this episode has touched on issues you're struggling with and you feel like you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org.au or for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and please look after yourself. I'm at a Crossroad is produced on Bidjigal and Gadigal land by students from the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional owners and custodians of this land and pay our respects to Elders past and present. This episode was edited by Liam A. Church. Sound designed by Harry Hughes. Produced by Campbell Moore and Liam A. Church. Executive producers Tristan Black and Angela Chu. 